world. And particularly, I think, in the area of knowledge, our minds are where knowledge is based, right? And God created us in his image. Our minds are part of how he created us. And I believe um, the whole world of knowledge is an aspect of who God is. Um, What I really love is how many of the great intellectuals of history have also been Christians. And it's never been necessarily, sometimes, but it hasn't been a massive conflict. It's actually made them more sensitive to how the world works. It's made them more questioning. And it's also made them, I think, when you, cons- when you uh, compare them to secular intellectuals, it gives them a rounded view of the world because they, they include the spiritual, the supernatural aspect. And so I think part of God's purpose for our minds as citizens of heaven is to represent knowledge in the way that it exists in the kingdom of heaven. What does kingdom knowledge look like? And so, you know, part of that journey is just between God and us. It's us discovering who we are, how we are designed. But tonight I want to particularly talk about how that impacts our connection with the world. And the problem that Paul talks about so specifically in Romans 7 is the fact that we are still in our flesh on this earth and we still have our human nature which is fallen. And this is something that this whole kind of conflict between human nature, the flesh, and um, the the redeemed, the justified self. Um, there, is, uh, there are thousands of books on this, um, and it's fascinating. But tonight, I really want to talk about it very simply and sum up the problem that we have our flesh, which is really the animal nature. It's our bodily form, right? And that, that doesn't just mean... Um, actual, you know, organs. (laughs) It also means how our brain works. Our brain is a very physical thing. Uh, Often our emotions are driven by um, the way our body reacts to situations, right? And I think that the, the, the world of psychiatry at the moment is just like blossoming in all of this, and I think it's very exciting. So there's the flesh. Then there's the human nature, which is higher than that. It's the part of us that when we go into fight or flight mode can actually say, stop, that's not true, this is what I believe. So it's the act of will that kind of comes over our animal nature and and has some dominion over it, right? But that part of us is also fallen. And that part of us has desires, it has values that are built into us from birth through our environment and the world that we live in, through our choices. It's the fallen part of who we are, and it's the part of us that God wants to renew. 
And the main thing that God really spoke to me about for this whole talk was this key idea that the values of our human nature are based on, at base, before we're saved, the values of the world, which are two things, just the very most basic level. One is the flesh wants to be free of pain. And, the hu and human nature wants to have significance. And I started thinking about these things, and everything that I could think of kept coming back to those two things. Comfort or freedom from pain and significance. Being somehow important. And that is defined in so many ways. For every individual, it's different, right? And these are not bad things. God has built these things into us. He wants us to be free of pain. He promises us, he promises us that in the eternal new heavens and new earth. Freedom from pain and suffering. So that's a good thing. And he wants us to know that we are significant. That each one of us is critically important to him. I think that we fight to hold on to those two ideas our whole life. Does God really want me to be free of pain? Does he want me to be important? Does he really care? And I feel like the world, aside from God, the world, everything that the world deals in is trying to meet those two needs at all kinds of different levels. And I think the more money you have, you know, the, the more sophisticated it gets. <laughs> but it's still really just trying to meet the same needs. And so, part of our calling is to say, what does this look like when I am a citizen of heaven and God has created me with a desire to be free from pain and to have significance? And how am I supposed to represent that to the world? Especially when the world is desperate for an answer to those questions. And this is where humility comes in because the world's knowledge and the world's answer to those questions is characterized by pride. It's characterized by the I'm right, therefore you're wrong mindset. My answer works, yours doesn't. It's characterized by this need for proof. You need to give me proof that that will work. Do this, and I promise you it'll work. If you just do these things, this will happen. <laughs> it's the same thing. It's pride. Give me a formula to solve my problems. And ultimately, it's characterized by the pride that says, I can know the truth apart from having to know God. 
And sometimes the world will take kingdom values because it feels the life on them. But the pride in the world says, well, if we just take those values and live by those, we don't really need the God part. This will bring what we need. And sometimes those things are, I mean, you hear them and you're like, yes, because there's life on them. It's love and acceptance and tolerance and mercy and justice and peace. All of those words, you're like, yes, that's the kingdom, right? And we want those in society. But when you want it without God, the human value for comfort and significance undermines what is required to live those values. And so you get to a point where you have people calling for tolerance towards one group and violence towards another at the same time. Why? Because love for them is conditional. We can't have God, God's values, kingdom values, without laying our lives down, without dying to self. That's how we're designed, and that's how the kingdom is designed. And so the world gets into a mess, and Christians get into a mess, because nobody really knows where, where can we meet. And often what will happen is Christians do one of two things. They might say, well, I can't be in this world anymore. I'm just going to separate myself from it. And you see this in the church over history. You get these movements of people who separate themselves from the world, sometimes very extremely, you know, like on the top of a column in the desert. And the problem with that is it was so weird that crowds of people would come see them and then they're kind of not alone anymore. <laughs> so they'd get very frustrated. But the common theme in people who wrote about becoming hermits and other things is that the more isolated they became from community, the harder the battle became. And so their sin grew within them and their imaginations grew darker, and the opposite effect happened, basically, of what they were trying to achieve. And, you know, Jesus did go aside. He did take time alone, but it was always to prepare to come back in. He learned practical, intellectual, worldly knowledge in order to engage with the world, but through the inspiration of the Spirit. And so the question is not whether we engage, but how we engage. And so the second way that Christians um, will often react to this tension in the world, seeing values that they, that they want, but 
the world isn't accepting how we want them to do it, and it's, it all just looks chaotic. A lot of Christians will think, well, if I just package it right, then maybe I can kind of bring them over, right? And so it's kind of the opposite of um, going into isolation. But it's also not, not working. So why? And the thing is, it's this battle within us. I still have this battle where I need comfort and I need significance. And so when I'm stepping into the world, that battle is going to be constantly kicking off because it's in everyone and it's, it's in our culture. It's in our everyday. You just see it on the internet, on every page, right? Screaming at you. <laughs> And it's easy to try to engage the world by fitting the gospel to match the needs of the world for comfort and significance. And saying, if you just believe, then you'll get comfort and significance, right? So what is driving us when we do that? When we preach a gospel that isn't complete because... The gospel of victorious Christianity is not complete. God did not promise that we would be free of pain in this life. He said it was a kingdom promise. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. So if we preach that if you just believe in God, your pain will go away or your disease your discomfort, your suffering will go away. It's not complete. The, the Bible doesn't show that picture. It's a bigger picture. And in fact, Jesus is saying, are you willing to stay in your pain if required and still follow me? That's a cross that you have to pick up. It's painful. I'm not saying that God doesn't care about your pain. If he didn't care, he wouldn't have taken the cross himself. Someone who does the thing that causes the pain in order to experience it, that's the ultimate love, right? Somebody who dies for their friend, that's the ultimate love. So he cares so much that he was willing to suffer the most intense pain, and in fact, to suffer death. So what does that mean? He is calling us, the gospel, the complete gospel, is he's calling us to step onto a road with him, which may include a cross, not all the time. I am not one of those people who are like, oh, it's just going to be terrible from now on, because it's not. But he may call us to step into or remain in pain or discomfort in order to bring the world back to him so that they can be freed from pain for eternity. That's an act of faith that we step into. We say, okay, for this brief time on earth, I will do that because I want everyone to know that they will be free forever. 
Many times, God will break in to our everyday life and he will heal pain. Just like that, it'll be gone. He'll heal disease. He will relieve mental health issues in an instant. But he always has a specific purpose for that. And I've studied the scriptures on this because I've always wondered, Lord, why do you do it sometimes and not other times? And every time I see the Lord coming in and supernaturally taking away pain, it's not so that someone can be comfortable for the rest of their life. It's to demonstrate the kingdom. And it always includes a call into relationship with him. Some kind of call, some kind of connection with the Lord. He didn't just come and say, right, I'm going to wave a magic wand and make it all go away now. There's a reason for us to go on this journey with him. And I think that's something as well that we have to wrestle with the Lord about. Is, why, why are you doing this, Lord? Is it worth it? Why didn't you just you know, start the new heaven and earth like right then when sin happened? Just start again. And there's all kinds of things that you can go into on that. Lots of theological discussion and everything. <laughs> but for me personally, it comes down to the fact that he wants us to choose him. And I think that a faith that doesn't have choice is no faith at all. Um, some strict Calvinists may disagree. <laughs> but, but you can go and talk about it somewhere else. And my um, difficulty with what the church sometimes does is that it grabs onto the miraculous to gain successful convert numbers because the miraculous offers a quick answer to the comfort problem, the pain problem. And it also gives the church people quite a lot of significant feelings, right? Like, well, our church has miracles and therefore we're important. <laughs> Sorry, it's a very simplistic way of putting it. But ultimately, I think as a church, we should always be asking, are we doing this to meet a need in us? Or are we dying to ourselves first and dying to what we would like to see and asking the Lord then, okay, just tell us what to do. Are you asking us to walk the road of the cross? Or are you asking us to pray for miracles? Are you asking us to live quiet daily life together, there are many ways that God will draw people to himself. And we have to be willing to ask, what do you want, Lord, not what looks good for us? Or even what will, what will help my friend the way that I think they need to be helped? You know, that's still a kind-hearted thing. But the point is that when you start walking in ministry and don't have God at the center, you're basically doing what the world does when it takes the Christian values and says, we don't want God, we'll just do it, do these things because they, they have life on them, right? 
they get into all kinds of a mess. That's why ministries get into a mess when they say, well, these are really good things. I've seen life on them all over the place. Let's do them. But they haven't put God at the center, and they haven't died to themselves. Themselves a little bit are still at the center. It gets into a mess. The church is in a mess. It's been in a mess since the beginning, over and over and over again, in many different ways. And it doesn't stop. It's not that, you know, the modern world is more sophisticated, or maybe they just find better ways to be in a mess. I don't know. Um, but it seems to be pretty common things that keep coming up. And so the one other thing I wanted to, to bring up, and this is the, um, the challenge against that desire for significance that we have, for pain and comfort, it's the desire for miracles. We want a quick answer. The victorious gospel, right? The practice in life that will undermine this need for significance in your human nature, that will feel uncomfortable to it, is the season of hiddenness. And I know so many people, I, I think everybody that I know who is kind of over 40 <laughs> has had seasons of hiddenness. And it's always a struggle. This is why they call it the dark night of the soul, which is very romantic. <laughs> or the wilderness season. Actually, it's really not a nice place to be. It's not romantic at all. It feels really hard. And part of that is because you're dying inside. Parts of you are dying inside. It's the parts of you that uh, need significance in this lifetime. And so some of the questions you can ask yourself if you think, well, that's not really, like, it's not a big deal for me. I've asked myself these because I've had seasons of hiddenness, particularly when you're a mother at home, that is a very hidden season, and even more so if you don't have a church community because you, you do things outside of the home, but, but you, you, you're not seen your spirit isn't seen. Your gifts and your talents aren't seen. And your children really are not great at calling out your greatness. <laughs> it gets so much better as they got older. <laughs> you, have, you have to train it into them. <laughs> and so, can you have contentment and peace in a quiet daily life at home. Now, this one is big when you retire, right, guys? I've been thinking a lot about you <laughs> because I see it up ahead. My parents have just retired, and they're not Christian, and they are struggling. They're struggling because they don't have any significance to anyone anymore except us, and we're far away. What do they fill their days with? For me, that feels like almost a tiny purgatory before they go, do you know what I mean? 
the Catholic idea about paying for your sins before, before you go to heaven. I always said old age must be a kind of purgatory, right? God decides how long you're going to be old. Die young. That's the answer. But no. Um, sorry, I'm a little bit, sometimes I'm a little bit dark. Particularly when I think about life stages, because that's the reality, right? And I am always about, like, let's ask the Lord how we're supposed to do this, because this doesn't look very happy. I don't, I mean, I know that he doesn't, you know, unhappiness isn't necessarily something that he just fixes for us, but I think he wants us to be aware. And I've seen a lot of spirit-filled older people, and you guys are models. I can tell you that right now. I have seen a lot of older people who are genuinely, their light gets brighter and brighter as they get older. That's what I want. And so I'm thinking now, like, Lord, can you teach me? Because I know that when I get older, my strongholds get, like, slightly more. It's like your wrinkles. You can see them more because they're deeper. It's like a, the, a light thing. I don't know. Anyway. Uh, strongholds get deeper, they stick out more, and you see them. I see this in um, my older family. All the things they used to be really good at hiding, they just say it now. And it's quite, it can be very offensive. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to be like. Um, <laughs> sorry, babe. <laughs> but yes, motherhood has hiddenness. Old age can be hiddenness, particularly if you have health issues and you're stuck at home or are far away from your family. Illness can be a time of hiddenness and is particularly hard for young people where it comes on fast. And so I've questioned the Lord, Lord, what is the point of this? You know, it, is this part of your kingdom plan? Because it, it looks pretty painful. And I just felt very simply the Lord saying, but, you know, the kingdom wisdom about this that goes against the world's wisdom that says, well, you're in a very insignificant season. You really have no impact right now. Your purpose is kind of fading away. God is saying, now all you can do is find your significance in my arms. Jump into my arms and ask me how important you are. Nobody else is going to tell you you're important anymore. And that need is hungry in those times. And it's so easy to go out and try and find that significance somewhere. And you know, it can be way more, guys, than just significance in like your career or your community life, all the things that we think about when we think of significance. I'm also talking here about like physical attractiveness, right? Bodily strength, physical strength. The things that sometimes we take for granted I've read about people who were beautiful young women who then get sick and waste away, and they say, the one thing that I had that people really saw is gone. 
Now what do they see? They just don't see me anymore. And so people like that will, will try to find someone to fill that need in so many different ways. And I personally think that being a teenager is a hidden season. I know that they keep you really busy if you're in the right places. But honestly, the loneliness in teenage years is the most intense that I see until, I would say, being a widow or a widower, very old, very old age if you don't have family around. There's an intense loneliness there. But, but only equal, I would say, to teenage years because you don't have the autonomy to to control your environment so that you have some kind of power or significance, impact. It's all put on you. And so teenagers, you'll see them, are desperate for some way to feel significant, as well as trying to comfort their pain. There's a lot of pain. So my question for you is, Ask yourself these questions. If I was knocked over by a car tomorrow and couldn't move, I'm not saying that this will be you straight away, but will I be bitter and twisted and wish I would die, or will, which you probably will many times in your journey, <laughs> but will you move towards a place where you realize my prayers are still significant. The fact that the Lord kept my consciousness alive means there is part of me that is still important, and therefore I will use that. It's very easy just to say that when you're not in that situation. But it's a challenge, because I think if we think about these things, it can also kick things off in us. And we can be like, oh, that, yeah, what would I do? What would I miss the most? What would I think about myself? What would you grieve over in yourself? Would you grieve over your body? Would you grieve over your social life? Because where, what you grieve is where your values are. And that helps you to see, okay, Lord, wow, if I would grieve my social life, am I putting too much of my significance in my social life? He does, he might say, no, you're great, you just keep on going. But it's good to ask those questions before it happens. And also it's good because it helps us see it in other people. It helps us have compassion. I think sometimes when we are terrified of pain or suffering, we don't even want to think about it, and then when we see it in other people, it brings it up, and we're like, oh, don't want to go and see that person because I'm really triggered by what's going on with them. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I think compassion is bred from being realistic with ourselves. This could happen to me at any time. How would it feel for me? God doesn't call us to run away from discomfort and suffering. Jesus stepped right into it. And I think part of our journey on the road with the cross is carrying the pain of seeing other people's pain and being okay to be with them in it. That's carrying a cross, it's not comfortable. It's really not fun. 
but it's part of our calling. And so, as you can see, all of these things are really talking about a dying to the self, dying to that human nature, that flesh instinct that, is, that we're fighting against all the time. And that really is what humility is. Humility is being willing to die to yourself. Pride elevates the self and says, well, I'm more important. And humility says, I'll put myself aside. It doesn't say, oh, I'm a terrible person. That's false humility. It says, I can put myself aside to step into what God is calling right now, whatever that looks like. Painful or joyful? Laugh with those who laugh, mourn with those who mourn. It's an availability to be in both places. And I believe humility then is the key as a church to not stepping into the knowledge of the world to try and meet the world's needs. because humility is the opposite of what the world wants. And so, even if we are pretty sure that, well, this is a good thing to do, God is telling us to do this thing, a great thing to do is to ask, what need is this meeting in me? Just, it's a simple question. It might be, a, oh, I need to love people. Well, ask yourself, why do you need to love people? It's not a bad thing. It's just a question. It's a question of motive. It's, it's uh, self-examination, which is encouraged in Scripture. And I, I would always say this. It's very easy to say, take the answers to your questions, take what you're hearing, what you think is the will of God, and compare it to Scripture. Well, yes, that's great, that's fine, but so many people do that. They use Scripture to back up something that meets one of their needs, <laughs> right? Have you seen this happen all the time in the world? And sometimes it's blatant, and you're like, oh my gosh, that guy's just on a power trip. And other times it's very, very, it all seems good. For 25 years it seems really great. And then suddenly it's like, what the heck happened to that church? Right? And so I always say, Scripture is wonderful and amazing, but still ask yourself, am I using this for my own purposes, or is the Holy Spirit bringing me to it? And this is where doing this with community and friends is so important, people that you trust. If you, I, this is why I'm, I'm just like, the Holy Spirit is so critical to how you live life with God. How do you do it without the Holy Spirit? Because it's just then another set of rules and another set of teaching on who God is and what he wants to do, which is what all the other religions are. If you don't meet the living God, then all of this is just a bunch of 
another book, you know? A bunch more worldly knowledge, human knowledge. And so it must, I think, come back to every time. Is the living God here? Is he here with me? And sometimes you don't feel him. Sometimes it's hard and you're, and you're in pain. That's why he gave us the church. I have found if I try and do that on my own, you can do it, but it's hard and it's long. And sometimes it feels like you're about to fall off the cliff face. But if you have friends that you can just say, guys, I'm struggling with this question, or guys, there's this thing happening, and I want to know what the Lord's will is, and I can't hear him clearly, and these are the scriptures I'm getting, but I'm not sure. Can you help me? Have them pray. Have them tell you. Speak wisdom. That's how God intended us to use scripture, not to take it in our room on our own and say, well, this fits with what I want to do. And so I want to challenge us all Can we, when we are testing God's good and pleasing and perfect will, when we're doing that, can we for a moment just say, Lord, I take myself out of the center of this, and I put Christ at the center, and it's Christ on the cross and the risen Christ and Christ at the right hand of God in heaven in the center. Show me your will with him at the center. And just that mindset, I believe God honors that. I believe he honors when we ask questions. I believe he honors when we ask friends and say, look, I'm struggling in this area. That vulnerability and being able to admit that we're, this is tough. It's all, those, all those things, they, they accumulate into a life of humility that I, I would love our church, which, and I do believe our church does represent. And next, been teaching into this from Scripture and what God has been saying. And I want to I wanna really encourage you, watch yourself in the world because that's where the battle is the hardest, over those areas of comfort and significance. So let's pray together. Father, we all have a desire to be good ambassadors of your kingdom. And that looks like so many different things in our lives. And we're all in such different seasons. And some of us have a lot of worldly influence and others of us feel that we don't. We may be going in and out of different seasons. And there's so many of us, Lord, that do struggle with illness with pain, with injustice, 
Father, I thank you that you called us into the world. You didn't call us out of it. I thank you, Lord, that we can learn about how you created us. We can learn about how the world works and all the knowledge and the wisdom of the ages that you have out there for us to discover. So much to discover. It's so exciting. Lord, I thank you that your kingdom doesn't need to be separate from the world, that it can be in the world. I pray, Lord, you'll help us to see how each of us can use this tool of humility better so that that struggle, that conflict within our flesh and our human nature, that, like Paul says, we, we want to do things and we keep doing the other things that we don't want to do. Father, I pray that you help us every day just to consciously put Christ at the center, to examine our own hearts. Test my heart, O God. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's our prayer, Lord. And so we pray you test our hearts every day. And we um, commit again tonight, Lord, to stepping in with you onto that journey where we will at times be called to pick up a cross and carry it. I thank you, Lord, that there's hope in that journey. There is hope in that journey for the world, not just for us. And at the end of it, the promise of all things made new, which is what every living creature in this creation aches for. All things made new and everything in its place. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Um, I want to tell you a little story before I go because that was quite like intense. Um, Adam Narciso emailed, and some of you will have seen his email. He is our friend who comes and runs conferences sometimes, and he is now living in Nashville, Tennessee, and he has a ministry specifically to Gen Z, which means he's on TikTok. <laughs> but um, he was running a 
summer camp this summer um, with young teenagers. And um, I think an issue that is really at the forefront of things right now is kind of gender dysphoria um, in young people. And he said, he just wrote a short testimony of a young person who identified as um, non-binary and um, pronouns were they, them, and um, also had a history of self-harm. And this young person was just really touched by the love of God during the summer camp and uh, gave their life to the Lord at the altar. And then um, during the worship session later on, the kind of giving thanks session, um, she went up to the front and she gave thanks um, for God calling her into his love and basically realizing that she was loved. And um, some of her friends came out to pray with her and as they prayed, they felt the Lord saying, pray for her scars of self-harm. And as they prayed, the scars disappeared completely. Um, and I love that. I know that that's one, one of these kind of out there testimonies. It's amazing. Um, but it's one of those moments where she hadn't, that wasn't what she had prayed for. She just had prayed to know God and he had shown up and showed her just how precious she was to him. And there was a huge amount of inner healing. But for her, but also for her friends, what an incredible testimony of what had happened inside the, of the unseen. It was made seen as well. Um, and so, yeah, I just wanted to share that because that's one of those things where the world's knowledge is great and helpful in a lot of ways and helps us to connect with people. But ultimately, it's just meeting the living God that is what changes your life and brings it back into the alignment with how he designed us. Um, and so that's what we should always be.